0: Hi, and welcome to Hella Healthy, the world's sickest podcast. I'm Dr. Serenity Della Porta, your guide on this journey through health. On today's episode, I'm going to talk about the association between body weight and health outcomes. It's a sensitive but important topic. It's a topic that is very personal for me. I've had challenges with my own weight on and off since middle school. Though some might view my struggles as relatively mild, being heavy is a theme that has dominated my view of myself and my health for much of my life. I internalized weight stigma growing up due to certain family dynamics, my body type, and being a female in America. Our media essentially sets women up to view our bodies, weight and health In very warped ways. For a wonderful overview of this, watch the documentary Misrepresentation. It is amazing, eye-opening, and heart-wrenching. Females are constantly given messages about our appearance and body size, equating our attractiveness to our worth. I want to have an honest, vulnerable, yet careful discussion with you about the association between body weight and health outcomes because there is one. However, it's important this evidence is presented in light of how sensitive a topic this is for many people, including myself. I want to acknowledge first and foremost that focusing on weight unnecessarily reduces health to the physical. Further, it presents a very narrow view of physical health. I do not endorse an exclusive emphasis on weight in the world of health or the idea that weight is the most central indicator of health. Unfortunately, those views are extremely widespread. Even with the growing popularity of body positivity, there are many methods being marketed to women to help us make our bodies smaller, keep us smaller, or give us the illusion that we are smaller. The connection between weight and health has led many people to internalize negative beliefs about themselves and others. If you are smaller, you are viewed as being healthy. If you are larger, you are viewed as unhealthy. We view ourselves this way, and we view other people this way. This is a flawed and oversimplified view of how weight is connected to health. On this episode, I want to help you better understand the evidence about body weight and health outcomes as well as evidence for the negative impact of internalized weight stigma. Should being overweight be at the top of your list of health concerns? Or does that belief do more harm than good? Can you, as more and more people are starting to say, be healthy at every size? Let's start with this first big question. Can you be healthy at every size? If you aren't familiar with this phrase, It comes out of the Body Positivity Movement and is also referred to by its acronym H-A-E-S, pronounced "haze." Many people who promote health at every size also promote an approach to nutrition called intuitive eating, which completely reverses diet culture and places the emphasis entirely on a person's feelings of hunger and satiety when eating. These two movements go hand in hand. There are many good things about both, and there are some valid critiques as well. Answering this question requires us to dive into many of the basics that I want to cover on this episode. First, let's focus on the word healthy. On past episodes, I have covered the biopsychosocial complex nature of health. Health is about so much more than the absence of disease. In this view, focusing on body weight as a key indicator of health is far too reductive. It puts the entire emphasis on physical aspects of health and only one narrow aspect of physical health. It also presumes that high body weights cause poor health outcomes. We must consider that regardless of a person's body size, they can still flourish and thrive in their intellectual, relational, and emotional lives. Therefore, one valid answer to the question of whether you can be healthy at every size appears to be yes. People of any size can have good relational health, good spiritual health, good emotional health, and so on. However, many people interpret health at every size to mean Larger body sizes are not associated with increased morbidity and mortality. That is clearly inaccurate, as a multitude of evidence demonstrates connections between higher body weight and poor health outcomes. The evidence, particularly in the obesity literature, is so abundant that I will not bother covering specific studies in detail here. Obesity has been shown to put people at greater risk for cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, a variety of cancers, and other adverse health outcomes. Though obesity has strong associations with morbidity and mortality, it should be noted that studies find being overweight can be protective. Further, many studies show that very low body weight is a threat to health. Body weight is clearly important to health, but the relationship is complex. It is certainly not the case that the lower the body weight, the better, or that being bigger is always worse for health. People in the health at every size movement tend to reject any discussion of obesity and poor health, viewing it as a trigger for weight stigma and shame. Many even avoid using the word obesity, Further, some argue that adverse health outcomes associated with obesity can be attributed solely to the negative impacts of internalized weight stigma. I can absolutely understand these concerns. Stigma and shame do have negative health consequences. The way our culture treats people in larger bodies has very real effects on health. Still, this does not fully explain the extensive evidence connecting obesity to increased morbidity and mortality. Internalized weight stigma can only account for part of the negative health effects we see among people at the heaviest weights. The Hayes movement has many good points. Hayes advocates want to create a larger sphere of what society sees as normal and healthy body types. The movement pushes back against the notion that there can be one particular view of what is a healthy weight for people. Healthy body weights will look different for each person. These points are valid to a large degree. It is worth asking, how can we know when a particular person's body weight becomes a threat to their health? When do you cross the threshold from being at a healthy weight to one that threatens your future health? Like our discussion of hypertension, obesity is a disease that is one of quantity, not quality. People whose weight poses a risk to their health do not have bodies that are qualitatively different in some way. Rather, they have more of the same thing that everyone has. In hypertension, people have more blood pressure. In obesity, people have more body fat. Researchers do their best to find the point at which a person is either under or over a healthy range for body weight for their particular body, usually based on their height and weight. Using height and weight as a rough estimate of body mass is called the BMI, which you have likely heard many times. BMI stands for body mass index, and the higher the number, the larger the body mass. This is the most commonly used tool to associate high body weight with poor health outcomes. However, BMI does not capture the aspect of body composition shown to be most important to health, and which defines obesity, which is body fat percentage. The percent of our body weight made up of fat and where on our body it is stored are much more predictive morbidity and mortality than BMI. For example, people who are very muscular but with extremely low body fat percentages are often classified as obese using BMI because muscle is so heavy. Clearly this shows that BMI is not well-suited to capture important individual differences in body composition. It also highlights that we are not really looking at a problem higher body weight. The disease of obesity is actually one of excess body fat, leading to dysfunction at the cellular level. There is a strong correlation between body weight and fat percentage, but weight is mostly just a proxy for body fat percentage when we talk about weight and health. Part of the health threat to our bodies comes from excess body weight straining our joints, Which is why obesity is associated with osteoarthritis. But many of the poor health outcomes we see in people with obesity stem from excess body fat and the cellular dysfunction it causes, called dyslipidemia. What body fat percentages are considered healthy? For women, we actually need more body fat than men. Anything lower than 22% body fat puts us at risk of infertility, and ideally a woman would have around 26 to 28% body fat when trying to get pregnant. One reason is because the fat lining our reproductive organs keeps them healthy. Body fat percentages above 30% are considered high for women. Men do not need as much body fat as women and should aim for 18 to 24% but men can go as low as 13% without adverse health effects. The most dangerous place to carry excess body fat is around the stomach. Studies show that measures of belly fat are more predictive of health outcomes than BMI. People who have more fat around their bellies have increased morbidity and mortality. For this reason, waist circumference may be a better proxy for body fat percentage and risk to health than BMI measures. If you, like me, have struggled with weight in your lifetime, you may be having a hard time hearing such a frank discussion about body composition and health outcomes. You may notice an old, familiar feeling of pressure and urgency. You might hear an internal voice shaming you about getting your weight under control. This is what internalized weight stigma feels like. It is a deep abiding belief that your body is meant to be controlled and that your efforts have been insufficient. Such beliefs feed feelings of shame, failure, and worthlessness. These feelings also pose a risk to your health. So I want to take a moment to address them now. For those of you feeling overwhelmed because your weight is higher than you think is healthy, take a deep breath and remind yourself there is so much more to you as a person. There is so much more to your health. There is so much more to your life. You are worthy. You are valuable. You are amazing. All this is true about you just as you are. Your body size does not define you. If you can see room for improvement, it is an opportunity to love yourself while pursuing growth. Know your worth first and try not to seek your worth in a smaller body size or a different body shape. We know that feelings of shame can lead people to feel hopeless and increase the risk for depression. This is why internalizing weight stigma poses just as great a risk to your health as being heavy does. Think of the connection between body size and health having two main pathways. One path characterized by the physical effects of carrying excess body fat, and the second path characterized by the psychosocial impacts of internal and external weight stigma. People who know they are being judged for their weight experience greater stress and often isolate themselves. Such dynamics put people struggling with weight issues at greater risk for health problems that accompany loneliness and chronic stress. These psychosocial pathways from body weight to health are not to be taken lightly. They account for a significant proportion of the health risk associated with higher body weights. One last important factor I want to discuss is body weight variability. The degree to which a person's weight fluctuates is very important to health. You may have heard that yo-yo dieting is one of the worst things you can do for your health. There's a lot of truth to that. Whenever our bodies go through significant changes in weight, our whole internal system that maintains our equilibrium must adjust to maintain homeostasis. It taxes our body to make such adjustments. As we see with stress, when our internal equilibrium system is being taxed too much, making adjustments to maintain homeostasis, it adds up over time and creates an allostatic load. This wear and tear, like with stress, puts us at greater risk for poor health outcomes. In fact, several studies have found People whose weight goes up and down over short periods of time are at greater risk for mortality and morbidity compared to those who remain consistently overweight. Keeping in mind that weight is only one small aspect of physical health and physical health is only one aspect of our overall health, let's review what we have learned about weight and health thus far. First, the association between weight and health is due to the fact that body weight is being used as a proxy for body fat percentage. It's a lot easier to measure weight than body fat percentage. The increased risk of morbidity and mortality is actually due to very high body fat percentages. We also know that body fat carried around the midsection is the most strongly associated with poor health. Carrying too much excess body fat strains our joints and causes cellular dysfunction called dyslipidemia. However, very low body weights and frequently going up and down in weight are also associated with increased morbidity and mortality. Interestingly, being overweight can be protective. There is not an easy or clear answer For how to determine if a person's body size is unhealthy for them, and there is much that we can learn from thinking of health at every size. Now that we know a bit more about the evidence connecting body weight and body composition to health, let's ask the biggest question. How much is a person's weight and body type under their control? There are many factors that influence how our bodies are shaped and what size they are including genetics. Yet, what we eat and how much we move our bodies dominates the conversation in the health world. Billions of dollars are spent on diets and exercise programs as a way to control our bodies and ultimately our health outcomes. Though there are a multitude of benefits to eating nutritious foods and regularly moving our bodies, much of what is out there is overhyped or downright inaccurate. One thing that often goes ignored is the fact that our body's internal homeostasis mechanisms have a weight set point, which is the weight at which our body prefers to be. This differs by person, but in general, our internal equilibrium system prefers to stay at the highest weight we've been historically. When we gain weight, our physiological systems adjust maintain that higher weight. This means that we feel hungrier to try to keep us eating a greater number of calories. When people who are struggling to lose weight talk about constantly feeling hungry, it is a valid reality for them. This can include hunger pangs, headaches, fatigue, and general feelings of malaise. When we cut calories, especially if we do it too quickly, our body slows its metabolism to try and stay at the higher weight and still function on fewer calories. As you can see, once we've been at a higher body weight, our body establishes this higher set point and keeps pushing us toward it. This is why so many people find losing weight difficult even when they go back to the same habits that once kept them at a healthy weight in the past. The same efforts are no longer sufficient because our body has adapted to push against us losing that weight. It actually does take more effort because we have to fight against our body's new set point. This is one reason why viewing losing weight through diet and exercise as simply a choice people can make is woefully simplistic and can do more harm than good. When the reality of change is very difficult, but the messaging is that you can just choose to do better, it is very tempting to give up altogether. In addition to genetic influences and the impact of our body's metabolism and set points, there are many other reasons our body weight is not simply a function of what we choose to do regarding eating and exercise. What we eat and whether we are active, like all health habits, grow out of a complex mix of environmental and psychosocial forces that take place over the lifetime. We adopt patterns that serve us at the time, but can become unhealthy in the long run. Many people form unhealthy eating patterns due to a strong mix of food environment and frequent stress. Our food environments are saturated with easy, cheap access to junk foods, that are high in sugar, salt, and fat. Frequent stress makes our bodies crave these exact types of foods. The result is that many people struggle with stress eating. Our society also uses high-sugar, high-fat foods to celebrate special occasions of all kinds. Because these occasions include birthdays, holidays, milestones like graduations and marriage, anniversaries, and so on, they add up to become very regular events. These social events lead us to eat foods we would normally indulge in occasionally on a more regular basis. Of course, this has all been reduced during the pandemic. But now that things are hopefully on the way back to normal, and people are getting vaccinated, and we're going to be able to start socializing again, this will all come back into play. It is harder to say no, When these foods are frequently offered. It takes stronger willpower to decline food repeatedly than to choose not to bring it into the house. Many times relationship dynamics make us feel awkward declining food. We might have that piece of cake simply not to deal with having to say no all the time. Add to this mix the high levels of stress many people experience with family dynamics and it is not surprising to learn that most Americans consume far more high sugar, high fat foods than is considered good for our health. In reality, most of us know what we should be doing. We know we should avoid highly processed foods and opt for whole foods that are mostly plant-based. We know we should be moving our bodies regularly and getting activity that raises our heart rate to boost our mood and keep our cardiovascular system fit and healthy. We know we should maintain our physical strength to promote bone health and reduce the chance of injury. The problem is not that people are unaware of how they should be eating and the fact they should be staying physically fit. Information about the importance of these behaviors to health is abundant. The problem is that messages about weight loss generally fall short of empowering people to actually make the lifestyle changes needed to adopt healthier habits. Most people know what they ought to be doing to promote health, but many people feel clueless as to how to start doing those things and maintain new behaviors. On the hella different episode of this podcast, I talked about the many factors that influence behavior change. It is never as simple as setting a goal and then doing it. Therefore, people don't need more health professionals who repeat the same health tips or who try to lead by example. Each of us will have different things to consider when changing health behavior. What is possible for you may not be possible for me and vice versa. People need health professionals who can help them understand all the things that influence health behavior and who can tailor advice to that particular person's individual situation. Health behaviors like diet and exercise are usually part of a cluster of behaviors that are either healthy or unhealthy. Social scientists call these behavior bundles. Behaviors do not occur in a vacuum. They are connected to everything else going on in our life. If a person is experiencing a lot of stress and is feeling lonely, they're going to have less energy and be less motivated to eat well and exercise. However, If a person is feeling happy and fulfilled, they will have more energy and be more motivated to eat well and exercise. Therefore, people who have healthy habits likely differ in a variety of important ways from people who do not have those healthy habits. Advising that others simply copycat a person who has found a way to maintain healthy habits is not helpful. Yet, that is what we often see in the health and fitness world gurus who advise others to emulate them in order to achieve success. There are far too many role models and not enough valid experts in the world of wellness. I'll now share some of my own experiences to review what I've discussed. Growing up I lived with my dad and two brothers as the only girl in the household. My idea of what a woman should be and how she should look was formed primarily through media consumption and a few key interactions with others. I started out thin when I was a little girl, but as I entered puberty, my body changed and became curvier. My dad's side of the family, the only family I regularly saw, was composed of very petite women, and there was a strong emphasis placed on weight. My paternal grandmother made several stinging comments about my weight when my body changed, when I was around 12 or 13. These comments filled me with shame about my body and my weight. In reality, my weight was not a significant threat to my health, but the emotional and psychological toll of unrealistic images of women who were impossibly perfect all over the media and the hurtful images from loved ones certainly was a threat to my health. I had a difficult childhood and experienced my first bout of depression around age 13 or 14. The last thing I needed was to be given the message that my worth depended on my body size. All of this demonstrates how internalized weight stigma can put us at risk for other health problems, including depression. My history of depression is not solely connected to my weight, but the feelings of worthlessness and negativity I feel about my weight have plagued me for many years. It takes a lot of work to undo years of internalized weight stigma. This is why we must always use careful and sensitive messaging around these issues, no matter how strongly high body fat percentages might be connected to health outcomes. For me, variability in body weight poses a real threat to my health. I tend to go up in weight and then lose it in cycles that last several years at a time. Once, when I was in my early 20s, I lost about 30 pounds in a few months because my anxiety was so out of control, I was forgetting to eat. I was taking a lot of classes and preparing to apply to graduate school. I was so busy and my stomach was in knots, so I would simply not eat until I would lie in bed hungry at night and suddenly remember I hadn't eaten anything all day. This happened most days for a few months, which is clearly disordered eating. But because my body was getting smaller, I was receiving constant compliments on losing weight. Everyone kept telling me how great I looked, completely unaware of how terrible I felt. As I mentioned earlier, losing a large amount of weight this rapidly and being underweight poses a threat to your health. Yet no one seemed concerned at all about my raging anxiety, my disordered eating, or how I was becoming underweight. The way people responded to me during this time reflects how society views weight and health. Smaller is seen as healthy, plain and simple. Rarely, Do people appreciate the complex connections between body weight and health? My stress was completely unmanageable, and my emotional health was terrible. My physical health was being taxed by this rapid weight loss. Yet I was repeatedly being perceived as healthier. It was jarring. Another experience that stands out to me was after my first pregnancy, My hormones were shifting, and this changed how hungry I felt. It was not uncommon for me to feel strong hunger pangs if I did not eat regularly. It was actually painful. This is one way my body adjusted and created a new set point, making it harder for me to return to my healthy weight range. Combined with the stress of being a new parent, including the stress of having had an infant in the NICU and a cross-country move, It is no wonder why it became a struggle for me to maintain a healthy weight. Of course, as I mentioned, this variability itself is not good for my health and concerns me too. Another time, just a few years ago, I had purchased my own exercise equipment and was getting back into a good routine of being active and eating well, and my weight was in a healthy range. I felt great. Then somehow I broke my foot. I'm not sure when or how because I'm a bit clumsy and I fall or trip somewhat regularly. I had to wear a medical boot for eight weeks and had already avoided exercise for weeks due to the pain. Over this time, several holidays occurred and I gained back much of the weight I had lost. The pain and stress of dealing with a medical boot also contributed to my returning to unhealthy eating patterns. Between the holidays and that, I was eating far too much sugar. All of these examples from my life demonstrate how different factors were connected to my weight and health at different times in my life. It would be far too simplistic to portray these weight fluctuations as simply reflecting changes in my willpower. The dynamics were much, much more complicated than that. As the Health at Every Size movement points out, we cannot know which body size is healthiest for any given person. My health was awful when I was at my smallest. We should stop assuming smaller is better when it comes to health. We should also stop assuming we know why someone's body is larger or that it means they are unhealthy. Not only does embracing health at every size reduce weight stigma, including internalized weight stigma, It helps us remember that health is biopsychosocial, and body size is only one small component of it. The less we focus on body weight specifically, the better. This goes for how we view our own health and how we view other people's health. If you are concerned about body fat percentage and would like to make behavior changes, there is research to indicate that dietary changes are the best way to do that. As overly simplistic as it is, cutting calories is still the most effective method for reducing body fat percentage. Beyond portion control, avoiding highly processed foods and focusing on whole foods that are mostly plant-based appears to be beneficial. If you need help figuring out what will work for you, given your personal preferences and routines, or if you have specific medical needs, A registered dietitian can help you formulate meal plans. Depending on your health insurance, this service may be covered. The evidence indicates that a healthy diet not too high in calories is the most important factor for lowering body fat percentage. But to maintain a healthy body fat percentage, regular exercise is the most important factor. Research shows we need about 45 minutes of sustained physical activity with an increased heart rate at least three times a week to experience a health benefit. Not only is exercise great for mental health, it has been shown to help people maintain healthy body fat percentages. Research also shows that strength training is important. Sustained aerobic exercise promotes emotional and cardiovascular health, but strength training promotes bone health and fat loss. It is therefore good to include strength training and aerobic exercise in your routine. If I had to guess, very little of this advice about eating and exercise is new to you. You probably already know much of what you need to do when it comes to eating well and staying active. As I mentioned before, the hard part is figuring out how to do it. If your body fat percentage is genuinely high enough to pose a risk to your health, What should you do? And more importantly, what can you do? That is where health experts can help. An expert is not the same as a role model. An expert helps you think through your situation systematically and identifies possible ways to make progress based on a deep understanding of health and human behavior. This can be done through one-on-one counseling or other health services or can be done through curating the right media from health experts, such as blogs, podcasts, research articles, and books. Let's think back to some of the topics that have been covered in past episodes of this podcast and how they shed light on the issue. Consider how stress plays a role. Focusing on stress management might be an important step before you can change other habits. If your stress is out of control, it sets you up for failure, by sapping your energy and causing you to crave unhealthy foods that soothe you. Each time you eat something high in sugar or salt, your brain releases dopamine and gives you a surge of pleasure. Stress makes us crave that hit of dopamine much more strongly. On the Hella Stress episode, I mentioned several techniques that have been found to help people manage stress, including deep breathing and mindfulness meditation. If stress plays a major role in your eating and physical activity habits, I suggest going back to take a listen to that episode and trying some of the techniques mentioned there. If your stress is really affecting your day-to-day functioning, I recommend seeking the help of a licensed mental health professional or doctor. Relationships also play a huge role in our eating and physical activity, as well as whether we will feel shame and stigma over our body size. As I shared, my own family dynamics influenced me to internalize weight stigma. I also mentioned how our culture regularly incorporates unhealthy foods into social celebrations. In addition to this, socialization and family dynamics impact the habits we form as we grow up and the views we hold on food and physical activity. Our friends and peers influence what we believe about social norms and our attitudes toward eating healthy foods and exercising. Feelings of loneliness can drive unhealthy eating as a way to cope with the stress of social isolation. In all these ways, relationships heavily impact the health behaviors that can make it either easier or more difficult to maintain a healthy body fat percentage. I hope this discussion about body weight and health has been helpful to you. I took my time to craft this episode because I wanted to do my best at communicating a full message highlighting various views as well as the preponderance of evidence. There is no doubt that very high body fat percentages are a risk factor for morbidity and mortality, but it is equally clear that body fat is only one small aspect of health and that a persistent focus on it has often done Much more harm than good. People cannot simply choose to change their bodies, and such messages are misleading and dismissive. We also need to stop assuming people in smaller bodies are healthier and more worthy of love or attention. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining me. I hope you will join me next time where I will be talking about goal-setting research. Whether they are explicit or not, all of us have goals when it comes to health. Which factors have researchers found help people set and successfully achieve goals? Are there systematic things that we can do to increase our chances of success? Listen to the next episode to find out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hella Healthy. Have a hella great day, and please remember to be kind.